I know that. I'm a shot of whiskey. I'm not a wine spritzer. I'm a no bullshit dude. I want to get shit done. I love challenges. I love tough conversations. I want to make stuff win. I'm intense. That's me. And if somebody doesn't want to work with an intense leader, and I can joke off and talk about the Dodgers, but if you don't want to work with an intense leader, don't work with me. Go work with somebody else. Anyway, like to go explore that dynamic about what somebody expects and really what they want at a core level. Most people don't do that and they just hire for a job description and it doesn't work out. All of a sudden, it's about justifying Becky at 80% instead of knowing what Becky really wants, what would turn her on and how to support her generating her own experience at work. I am not into handholding, you might feel that from me. I'm into managing against results with a ton of love and a ton of commitment for people. But if you get clear about the outcomes, get clear about the culture that you are as a person, every person is a culture, every leader is a culture. Get ready for another great episode of the Better Than Rich Show. Today we have Adrian Kaler. And Adrian is a leadership engagement expert, and we go in all different directions about fearless leadership. We talk about personal responsibility. We talk about how some coaches are imposters, but that's okay, but how to find the authentic ones. We talk about building and attracting a team, breaking it down to the studs of what are the standards, what are the expectations, how do you attract the right talent to your business. We talk a little bit about how to create and influence change in people who don't really want to change. Adrian has a company called Take New Ground. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership for themselves, their teams, and clients to create new, unprecedented results and experience fulfillment in their work. He's the founder and the senior partner at Take New Ground. This coaching program helps founders exit their company or put CEOs in place. He has a podcast called the Naked Leadership Podcast. He's raw, sometimes a little vulgar. I love it. I think you're going to love it too. So this is an authentic conversation with Adrian Kaler. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I am here with Adrian Kaler. I'm Mike Abramowitz. We appreciate you listening to today's episode. Adrian, welcome to the Better Than Rich Show, brother. Oh, man. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Well, we've been looking forward to this convo. We've had it on the books for quite some time. And I know you have a track record of success with a lot of things that you're doing, especially with the Naked Leadership Podcast and a lot of success being a business owner and entrepreneur. And you're really speaking the language of a lot of our listeners. A lot of our listeners Mm. are business owners. They're overwhelmed entrepreneurs. They have their hands on a lot of different things. They have a tough time saying yes to certain things and no to other things. Mm. So tell me, where is the starting place for you? What was the journey to becoming a business owner, an entrepreneur, where did a lot of that begin for you? Yeah. Well, I'd say I became a business owner second. I really followed my passions and that led me into owning a business as a container for the passions. But I've been doing this work. So I've got a firm now called Take New Ground. I've got a great business partner, a mentor of mine that we became business partners together. I've got a growing team that comes in and serves clients. We help frustrated founders get new results. And that's both for them, for themselves. I mean, a lot of our conversations around self-mastery, which is most of the time, the quality of life comes from the conversation about life that I'm in. And if I ever get too philosophical, say, what the hell are you talking about, Adrian? I can no, you know, let's chunk, do it. Let's you know, chunk down into it. So 
a lot of self-mastery, team engagement, team building. And I don't mean like bullshit team building. I mean, built, literally building a team and then setting up the context or the culture for the team and how to engage with them in a way that actually works, especially everyone wants high performers, but it's a very specific way to engage people to provoke high performance and then to keep it on the table. So we're in lots of conversations with people about that. It ends up being a lot of conflict resolution type stuff because all business results comes out of a context of relationships. That's a big concept. But what I mean is like what people think about themselves, what they think about the people on the team, what they think about work itself, that will that is the water every that, that we're swimming in as a company. So how to engage a team and then obviously building new results. That's the non-negotiable. So those three buckets at Take New Ground, we're very committed to those three specific buckets of conversation. So I've been doing this work for about a dozen years, as I was saying. I was going to say I wandered into it. That's definitely not true. I did set off saying, oh, I want to be a coach someday. I don't know if coaches even do that. I don't know many coaches. Most of them that I've met, I'm not that fascinated by. And we can get into why that's so or whatever. But I did. It was an odd way to get into this world. I mean, I started out out of college, pre-med guy, decided I didn't want to follow my grandmother's dream for me, but ended up deciding, oh, I want to go travel the world. I do love all the medical stuff and I want to travel the world and go do that. So I actually picked up a nursing degree and was an intensive care nurse, which is a very unique environment. You're obviously fighting for people's lives. You got to move quickly. You got to be an expert. But dealing with people, handling people, encouraging people, connecting, educating, all that, like being with people in the crucible of chaos. I love that. As much as anything else, all the science part was interesting to me and I love all that. And for whatever reason, my brain figures all that out quickly. But that challenge of being with people at the most crucial conversations in their lives, and I worked with pediatrics too, kids on the brink of death and helping parents deal with that context and helping the kid deal with that and then helping the whole system deal with that. That's what I cared about. And that taught me a lot. And then out of that though, come from a spiritual background, grew up religious, parents were religious. There's aspects of that that worked for me. And there, anyway... All that to say, I moved out to California to go be involved in a spiritual community, a church called Mosaic. And it was all very edgy back when I came in. We called ourselves the research and development arm of Christianity. So we were always breaking all the rules, doing the shit that no good Christian would do, befriending everybody. And I led teams, built leadership teams, mobilized volunteers to make a difference in the city. And we traveled globally and loved it. And I could go into lots of the detailed stories. But out of that, helped a guy in his own spiritual journey. His father's a billionaire. His father runs TPG, well-known firm, private equity firm. And so he's a millionaire and he wanted to know what to do with his money. After he'd had his own kind of epiphany moment, oh shit, maybe life matters. Maybe other people are here. What could I do about that? So I took him around the world to help him figure out what his vision was. And we ended up wanting to work with people that have really blown it to get a second chance. So he decided he really wanted to work with criminals and gang reduction work, criminals working in the prison system. So we did that work. We focused our work in the prison system. And I hired this guy named Dan Tacchini, who's now my business partner. Dan Tacchini's like, if Mother Teresa and Yoda and Tony Soprano had a baby, he's this fascinating, unique human like I've never met before. And he could do things in a room that I'd never seen any leader do. And he could have conversations that I'd never seen anybody. And his intuition, he's the most intuitive person I've ever met. So anyway, as soon as I met this guy, I'm like, oh, that guy, I want to be like this dude. So hired him to run that side of the foundation, immediately became his apprentice, and then went through all the trainings. Leadership. I'm a sucker for leadership development, which probably is not a surprise if I'm a coach type guy. And just really fascinated by human potential, ended up starting a company called Human Potential Unlimited. From that, I went through this coach's academy and thought, you know, what do I want to do now? So I started the foundation. My first coaching clients were murderers in prison. We trained murderers how to be change agents in prison. We worked with all the lifers. 
had it for them to be change agents instead of just the OGs that were calling the shots, killing people. Now they're going to actually go do something great and train them how to do that. And then what I want to do, and I thought, who are the people I care about the most? Well, I care about leaders the most because they're the most important investment to make. If you're going to change somebody's life, might as well change a leader's life because they've got a catalytic effect. And so I've always had a heart for leaders. The type of trouble a leader goes through and feels on a regular basis, I've always been in leadership roles by choice. And I get it, especially type A dickheads. Those are my favorites. The maniacs of the world that are really talented, really brilliant, and create tons of collateral damage around them, either by choice or just unconsciously. And so I have a heart for them and I have a heart for the legacy that they have and a heart for their teams. Anyway, that's how I got into this work. And that was 12 years ago. I started coaching anybody with a pulse and a little bit of money and then moved into the corporate world and now focus solely on founders because entrepreneurs are the most fun people on the planet. Mm. Well, I appreciate the backstory. There's a few different directions that I want to go here, Adrian. The first yeah. is you mentioned these coaches and, yeah. <laughs> and the industry is getting watered down where anybody, anybody is a coach <laughs> nowadays. It does make way for a lot of imposters to kind of enter into the marketplace. So I'd like for you to just riff on that. How might someone actually decipher who is considered an imposter or who is an authentic leader who could provide value and has lived it and experienced it? That's my first curiosity. Let's start there. I have a few more that I want to kind of jam on. So I'm going to just pick apart one question at a time. Why don't you just riff on that for a minute? So how do you decipher between an imposter and someone with integrity, I guess, is the other side of that. So first off, we're all imposters. At least I think so. I know that is true for me. And I assert that about humanity, that the best thing we can do in life is to be authentic about our inauthenticity. And we're all hypocrites. You ought to be. You ought to be a hypocrite. You ought to say something that you can do that you haven't proven to yourself you can do yet. Otherwise, you just, whatever, you're just living an incremental life. If you're going after 5% better today than last year, that's fine, but it's not impressive. Can you double it? Now, if you say you're going to double it, then you're full of shit. You don't know if you can. And you're saying something, you don't know if you can cash that check, right? So I am an imposter. And we all say things, we think things about ourselves. I'll get back to your question, I promise. We say things about ourselves, and we say we care about certain things, and we act exactly opposite of that on a Tuesday afternoon at 2.30. We all do this. And so first off, we're all imposters. And there's no way to escape that. Might as well just own it. In my work, we say we're all criminals. Some of us are just more arrestable than others. So first off, we're all imposters. So and the more that I can own mine, yours doesn't bother me. I get yours. When you're full of shit, I get it. And I can actually partner with you in an authentic way. If anybody's trying to sell me that they've got it all together all the time, I'm like, I don't trust you. But if you can show me how you blow it and how you own it when you blow it and how you make it right when you blow it and you get back up and go again in a very short interval of time, that's somebody I'd go to war with. Mm -hmm. I guess I should have chose the word hypocrite more so than imposter. Like someone who... You know, says, hey, go do this, but I'm going to go do something else. Well, yeah, I don't know if that's the right question. If someone's thinking about working with a coach, and I think everybody ought to, all high performers do. I mean, we don't even think about it. Jordan didn't have one coach. He had a dozen and he was the best ever. And we can have that argument mm -hmm. if you want, but he's the best oh, ever. He's the best. Yeah. Amen. So anyway, high performers are committed to ever evolving and I can't do surgery on myself. I must get outside view now. So I think everybody would get something if they decided to engage in a very specific way, they will get promised ROI. Now, who to engage with is kind of your question. Our work with folks is around fierce advocacy. First off, you can go hire somebody really smart. That's great. But you don't need to hire somebody just smart because that's in every book out there, every YouTube video. You can go listen to smart people. I mean, you don't need insight from a person. That's free. So, I mean, it's not bad to get insight from a person, but all that's free. 
advocacy is what we do. If we work together, Mike, I'd get really clear on where you're going and I'd be as committed or more committed to your future than you are. And then I'd stand shoulder to shoulder with you and I would look at the world the way you're looking at it. And there's certain ways that you're talking about the world, thinking about the world, speaking the world, acting out the world that are going to get you there. And there's certain ways that you're not. You don't know it because you're just busy being Mike or maybe very historically anchored into the way it is, quote unquote, based on your ex-worldview, which is the Freudian curse on humanity. I am because it was an etiological view, they call it. We advocate that a future could be unprecedented, not connected at all to the past. It can be connected to the past, but we all want to believe that something new can happen, especially when we fucked it up. And I've fucked up my life in so many ways. And I've got a future that is contrary to what that story about that past says is possible. So when I say advocacy, I'm committed to somebody and it's fierce, right? So because I work with type A dickheads, they have people that pander to them and yes, men around them and people that are scared of them. And I'm just not scared of them at all. I don't care if they like me and I'm committed to this thing working, but I don't need it to work. And I'm going to show up 100%. And if they don't like it, great. And not that I don't care about them, right? I want to make this distinction. I deeply care about them, but I'm just not committed to any kind of politeness. And I'm not a dick about it. I'm just like, what making it work, making it happen is what's most important. You becoming who you're committed to becoming is actually from a life experience perspective, that is what's most meaningful. Am I becoming the person I want to become? That seems so soft, but we know that 95, that matters more than anything else. An extra $2 million in the bank account does not matter when you're about to die. It's the quality of relationships and your own dignity and your own integrity. And am I proud of myself? That's actually what matters. We choose to not care about that in the rat race. So when I'm thinking about a coach, I want someone that's going to advocate for my future and they're going to do it in a way that's contrary to culture, which is very polite and PC and all this bullshit. So therefore, I don't have much interest in kind of some kind of expert on content because content's free and that doesn't do the trick anyway. Conviction is what matters. Commitment is what matters. A willingness to live your word is what matters. So most people, and I go through this all the time, we try to hire coaches or people, lots of people come to us and want to work with us. And most of them don't have this, which is this willingness to have the real conversation. Like the one that the person doesn't want to have, that's the one to have. I tell founders all the time, the conversations that are under the table are the ones that are running your organization. I don't know what they are yet, but that's where I'm going. And that's what we're going to talk about. All the shit you don't want to talk about is where the gold is. The answer to this question, who to work with, that's what I want. That's who I have worked with when I hired a coach when I first got started. That's the only type of commitment that I'll tolerate on my team or stand with on my team is this fierce advocacy. Most coaches are just kind of nice people which is great. And they're kind of like therapists, like rogue therapists, which is great. I'd say it because you can obviously tell what I really think. But therapy can be helpful. It's just Freudian. It's just how do we make the past better? How do we make sure that doesn't happen again? And that's playing not to lose. I'm committed to playing to win. And so it's Adler, not Freud, if you want to get in the psychological terms. So most people, I just, I'm not that interested. It's just kid gloves. And not that I don't like somebody that's kind, like be kind, but be committed. Let your kindness be presenced in your commitment to the person. Because that's what all of us need. That's what you need. That's what I need is somebody that cares about me enough to look me in the eyes and believe in me so much that they don't believe me. They're calling me up into a next level of conversation. Most people don't do that. What I love about what you're saying is it's really connecting to your authentic truth. So it's like if someone is connected to their authentic truth, then they could be an authentic coach. And as long as you, as if you're looking to find, when I say you, the listener is looking to find 
a mentor or a coach, it's like, what are we really looking for? Not someone who is an quote unquote expert in information. If I'm hearing you right, it's someone who is authentically connected to the highest version of you versus pleasing the current version of you or the past version of you. Right on. You made a distinction in here that I want to put a pin on. Like finding someone that is an expert in the content and has great experience, that's great. That's just called a mentor. So get mentors, people that have been where you're going or have gone through what you've gone through. That's really helpful. It's going to be naturally prescriptive, meaning like they're going to say, oh, when I was in your shoes, I did this. Or if I was in your shoes, I did that, which is great. It's just dependency. So answers aren't worth as much as powerful inquiry. Questions are worth more than answers. Answers expire because reality moves forward. The answer for today, as we're recording this on a Wednesday at 11.25 a.m., the answer to some kind of issue in my life can be true today, but Thursday's coming. If I keep thinking that that answer or that mechanism, that how, is going to solve the future's problem, I'm a fool. It might, but if it doesn't, and I think the solution is in the answer, you know this, I assume, because I know this, you know, I call it the square peg and the round hole syndrome. I am the type of dude that left to myself without any inquiry, without any self-leadership, I will get that square peg through that round hole. You just have to hit it really fucking hard. You know, like you ever do that where you were just banging your head against the wall <laughs> and just trying to make this thing work and the square peg goes through. You just got to blast the shit out of that. You got to make it work. And then you come off so coercive and you end up trying to manipulate reality instead of generate reality. Well, this is a great transition into the next curiosity they have for you, which is building a team and attracting the right people to a team. Because we use the language square peg round hole when team building and attracting talent and talent acquisition and onboarding. And it's like too often business owners are like, oh, those people are convenient because they're within reach. So I'm just going to bring them in and I'll build my org chart based on who's in within reach versus let me really think about what are the character traits? Who are the who's that I want to put into the right place, the right seats in the right bus? So I'd love to hear you just kind of riff and jam on taking this square peg round hole type of philosophy, taking some of the authentic leadership of attracting the right people and building a team from the ground up with some of what you have done in the past. I'd love for you to just kind of jam on that a little bit. Sure. Well, all right. So lots there. First off, there's a lot more that needs to get done than we dare to contemplate. And that's just the human brain. Our brain is looking for trouble. And one of the ways to protect ourselves is to underestimate the tasks needed in reality, underestimate the suffering that's required to get to the goal. So we usually undercalculate what's needed from a task oriented, from an action perspective, what's needed from a number of people, number of hours. Anyway, we naturally underestimate. So it's good to get real about what's needed from a team functional perspective based on the vision that you're really committed to, like what you really want. If I get really clear about what I really want, like what my vision is, we say vision is a future worth having, like get really clear about that aim. That's going to create a shit ton of chaos and crisis because we need a lot more than we have the time to train the people, the money to pay ends up showing up like tension for us. So let's just say that's true. What we need to do is first off, be willing to own current reality and just say it as it is. This is actually what we need. We can't get to all this, which means as a leader, I'm wearing five hats right now and stop bitching about wearing five hats. You signed up for this gig. If you're running a company, you signed up for wearing a lot of hats. If you don't want to do it, go get a job and shut up, you know, but otherwise that's the job. Now people will typically hire for relief, which is the trouble. 
I've got 10 things on my plate. I'm overwhelmed, blah, blah, blah. I need some butt in a seat. I need something. And I think to your point, maybe one of the conversations you guys have is you end up hiring somebody and kind of making it work with this person, but they're really hiring for their own relief. But it's like short-term gain, long-term pain because I'm hiring for an emotional experience, actually not for effectiveness and not for efficiency. And I'm using that person, right? I'm actually, I'm using them literally as a tool. It's not that I hire Becky and I know what Becky's good at. I know what she really cares about. I know what she can do. We've got an aligned vision about what's possible for her, where she comes in day one, where she's going to be at 90 days and 180 days and all the way out. And I'm believing in Becky. No, I'm actually hiring Becky to fix my problem. So there's not alignment. There's not like shoulder to shoulder. Here's what we're going to do together unapologetically. Most leaders have vision inside of them. They dare not speak out loud. I want you to speak to that. Sorry to interrupt you here, but I want you to speak to that component right there because the convenience factors is the Band-Aid approach where it's like, okay, I like the way you just said it, where it's like, I have a problem, I have a pain, I need you to come solve my pain versus the opposite of what you're saying, which is this is the vision of where we want to go. And this is the who, you know, Dan Sullivan, who not how, like, let's figure out the who that we really need to put into this place. Becky, in this example, Let's see if Becky is the right person for this, but let's make sure that we know, have clarity of what we want, directionally where we're going, what Mm -hmm. the needs of the business are, what are the benchmarks that we want to have in place. And then we have a conversation with Becky and say, hey, Becky, what is your skill? What can you contribute to this? Again, I don't want to assume. I'd like for you just to kind of speak to that because too many business owners are looking for the Band-Aid approach. Help me get out of this pain as fast as possible just to have more consequences later versus doing it right. right. Attracting the people the right way, building the infrastructure the right way, working on the business versus like, let me just go here and just try to patch up some things in the business real quick and then come back to what I was working on. So what would you say to someone who says, how can I get clarity or build a strong infrastructure so I can attract the right Becky to my organization? And what needs to be in place to build such a strong infrastructure for Becky to have a thriving working experience, not just working to heal my pains? Yes. Important question. There's a lot here. Let me see if I can take this apart. And I'll be honest. So it's always a who, not a how. We naturally go to how questions make sense. Everybody goes to the mechanism question, but that will fall short to the point, I don't know, 10 minutes ago. So how is important? It's just not pinnacle. So pinnacle is a who conversation. So let me see if I can make this make sense. I've got an offsite with a team, for example. I'll go right on the board at some point, usually early day two, maybe end of day one. Intention plus mechanism equals results. And we'll have a conversation with the whole team. Let's say there's eight leaders in a team. What, if results requires 100%, what percentage is intention? What percentage is mechanism? And I take a vote around. Everybody's all over the place. There's 50, 50, 10, 90, 90, 10, blah, blah, Can you define those two just to make sure it's clear? Sure. Mechanism, intention. Yeah, I would always let them ask me that question, but nobody ever asked that question, like define the terms, which is brilliant of you. So essentially, mechanism is the how, how to get something done. Intention is, I talk about it as the what, why, and who. My business partner, Dan, only says the who, and he's crazy. I think it's all three baked into that thing. So what, why, and who? What the hell are we doing? Why is it meaningful and important for ourselves, personal interest, corporate interest, and who the hell must I become in order to pull that off? So at the end of that exercise, we invite the team. First off, a couple of things happen. One is the team's all over the place, which is worth seeing because if results are off and we think the problem is a mechanism problem, we're going to go try to solve mechanism, which is when you said infrastructure, that's what I thought, like systems in place, those types of things, operational things. If I think it's mechanism, I will go try to keep solving mechanism. 
if I think intention is where it's at, then if we're off with results, then we're going to go back and explore the intention. What, why, and who? So that's first thing is everybody's all over the place. That's why the team's really bifurcated because when crisis comes up, we look to different places. We have different conversations. We blame, shame, credit, all that shit. And it's just all over the place. We invite people to take on this crazy idea that it's 100% intention, a 0% mechanism to get results. Now, it's a little bit of a trick because obviously you need mechanism. Mechanism is what happens in real life. But what aims, what creates, what generates, what regenerates, what corrects, what recorrects mechanism will always be intention. So who the person is. So to your question, most of the time we're hiring for results, which I think is great. But on job descriptions, we give them a lot of lists of responsibilities. And then we let them talk and they'll try to talk us into why they can do that. We'll look at their resume and we'll ask them silly, stupid questions about their past with this very naive view that past equals future. Because I don't think that's true. It can be true for an irresponsible person. My past is always my future because I'm not in control. My past, I live in the momentum of my history. People do that and I would just never hire anybody like that. And people hire people like that all the time. That's part of the trouble is they just have this very passive view of life, i.e. a victim stance. And you ought to sniff that out. But anyway, we ask all these bullshit questions about their past history. And of course, they're going to tell you what they want you to hear. This is a first date. And if you're desperate to hire somebody, you're probably they're not asking rigorous questions because you want to like them because you're done with the pain. It's like if I like Becky and I think she's smart and I can justify it to myself and then justify it to my teammate and justify it to the board. Maybe if you got a board, she's a C-suite person, then I'm done and I get to get back to my work. And so we come in really inauthentically into the conversation. Now that's context, meaning like that's what's going on between somebody's ears that they might not be that aware of. Own that. What is the purpose of my conversation with Becky? Am I here to actually get to know her or am I here to solve my own problem or both? And it's really both. But if I'm here to solve my own problem, I'm not even going to see Becky. I'm just going to be using her in the conversation probably to prove my own cognitive biases. She's either got what it takes or doesn't have what it takes. And we're going to look and solve We're going to look to history to find answers, which is just faith and just hope for the future. Instead of actually getting to know her and finding out what she really wants, like in life, most people are going to ask only job-related questions. And that's a fool's errand. It's dumb because you are selling her on corporate outcomes. You need to. You better do that. And you want to hear her view of corporate outcomes. And that's usually where people stop. But they don't have a conversation with Becky about what she wants in her life. How is working here a good idea for you five years from now? Where have you worked at in the past? What didn't work for you? What type of team do you want to work with now? It sounds so cliche, but like, what are your own values, really? What are your own non-negotiables? Or do you even have those? All these types of Becky-centered conversations, because her beliefs and her view of the future, her beliefs and her view in herself, her beliefs, her view about you as a boss are the ball game because it doesn't matter how great the system is. If she thinks that her boss was a dickhead before and she hasn't come to grips with that and owned her own piece of it and properly divorced from the previous boss, you will be the next dickhead. Yeah, it's going to be projected onto the new relationship. Yeah. 100% projected, but then generated. It's not that our brain is neutral. Our brain is never neutral. We're mammals. Mammals are 100% intentional beings. We actually have a result that we believe and we go out to collect evidence to be right about that. Maybe that is gravity for human beings. I say it so dogmatically. I mean, try that on. I know it's true from neuroscience, but try that on. Like, what is the intention? This is why the who thing is real. My own view of the future is who I become. So, and we know this is true. If I think I can double my company size in a year, I show up willing to take risks, willing to have all the tough conversations, willing to put myself on the line, willing to correct myself quickly, willing to be humble and ask for advice. If I'm committed to doubling my income next year, if I think 
that I'm not going to, and we're quote unquote going into a recession. This is like the conversation in culture these days, right? We love to hide behind macro numbers as if they write the future. But if I believe that the recession, quote unquote, is going to ruin our year, I will behave that way. And I will be conservative and I'll hold back and I'll wait to hire and I'll blah, blah, blah. I'll do all this shit and then blame it on the recession instead of blame it on what I use the idea of the recession to prove to myself and then my behaviors I justified with that view. So to your question, when we're in a conversation with people and want to build a real team, go have all the real conversations up front. I would go sniff out trouble as quickly as possible and talk about it in real time on the first date. Like, hey, tell me what you think about me, Becky your first conversation together. What type of leader do you like to work with? If this was me, I'm an intense guy. I know that. I'm a shot of whiskey. I'm not a wine spritzer. I'm a no bullshit dude. I want to get shit done. I love challenges. I love tough conversations. I want to make stuff win. I'm intense. That's me. And if somebody doesn't want to work with an intense leader, and I can joke off and talk about the Dodgers, but if you don't want to work with an intense leader, don't work with me. Go work with somebody else. Anyway, like to go explore that dynamic about what somebody expects and really what they want at a core level. Most people don't do that and they just hire for a job description and it doesn't work out. All of a sudden, it's about justifying Becky at 80% instead of knowing what Becky really wants and what would turn her on and how to support her generating her own experience at work. I am not into handholding. You might feel that from me. I'm into managing against results with a ton of love and a ton of commitment for people. But if you get clear about the outcomes and get clear about the culture that you are as a person, every person is a culture, every leader is a culture. We're a set of conversations. And then we generate those conversations with other people and then we call that a team. And if you're unapologetic about that, then there's no surprises. You have to stop spending your time trying to make things work out for other people. You can actually just go fully be yourself and they're going to fully be themselves. And some days it's going to work. Some days it's not going to work and people's feelings are going to get hurt. I'm really hard nosed, but I'm really sensitive too, man. I absorb shit. I absorb everything. Very empathetic naturally and can be as insecure as the next guy, you know? So anyway, owning all that shit and doing it with the other person creates rigor in the conversation and creates partnership to becoming so that we can create those results we say we're committed to create. And Adrian, what I'm really liking about what you're saying, it's transferable. So this entire conversation around onboarding Becky <laughs> in our consistent hey, example. And Becky, if there's a Becky listening to this right now, it's, you're hired, it's you. Yeah, we're talking about you. All right. But this is really great for this team building setting. I think about if someone already has people in place and they haven't done the work. They haven't actually done a good job at onboarding the right way. They're listening to you talk right now, Adrian, and they're like, shit, I have people on my staff that just don't want to change. They're kind of stuck in their ways. And where my mind went is you have these criminals and these murderers that you were able to help have these complete shifts and paradigms through your ability to influence them, whether it be the fear of the consequences of the past or the pursuit of the pleasure for the future or the possibilities of change, right? There's a way to influence change. So as a leader or as a business owner, and if you're running your own organization and you have people on the bus that are complacent, but you know they can shift, you know they can actually have the human potential to make change and you can either change the person or change the person. You could influence the shift in the people, influence the shift in the culture, influence the paradigm on which they're approaching their work, or obviously go find another person using the playbook that you just said, which is aligning them with integrity. So my question in this whole rant here is, if you wanted to influence change in someone who in the moment doesn't really want to change, 
but you know they have the potential to add value to their future self and the future of your business, what would be the conversation you would have with this individual? Well, I would start with a confession. So first off, let's get clear on the conversation. So yes, can people change 100%? Do they want to change? Probably not. So we got to get clear. First off, as a leader, if you're a leader, you've been committed to change for a long time. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a leader. I mean, maybe you get lucky, but you've been committed to some kind of, I'm going to go stick my neck out there and do all the transformation I need to do to make that work. And that's distinct. So you got to see the difference between somebody that stands up as a leader and someone that's just living life. So first off, honor that distinction because we naturally think other people think like we think. That's the number one human bias. This is according to, I forget the author's name, this book called Conversational Intelligence. It's a great book. She says, this neurologist says, number one human bias is we think other people think like we think. And it's like gravity. So that's first off. As a leader, you naturally have assumptions about the future that we prescribe to other people. So first off, get clear about that. Is that, of course, Becky can shift. Does Becky want to shift? Well, obviously not up until now. Otherwise, she would have already. Meaning there's payoffs to doing what she's doing. Even if it sucks, even if it's mediocre results, even if she's about to lose her job, she has already consciously or probably unconsciously done the math, and I will keep up mediocrity as long as I can. I think probably to your point or probably underlying your point is there's something worth pursuing that she would love to go after if she had the right type of infrastructure, the type of commitment around her. Because we all need to take risks to pull something off. It's scary to take a risk. There's potential future doom. But if you have somebody around you that actually sees you, believes in you, helps you do the math on, what's that quote? People don't change until the pain of staying the same is better than whatever that quote is, than the pain of transformation. That's kind of always true. So somebody that helps them see what's coming, because there's a future coming to every way of being, every decision, every what people are doing, there's always a future attached to it. So anyway, that's all in the background first. Now, if I want to go have this conversation, I first need to confess, meaning I've probably been grumbling for a while before I've had the conversation. And I say I'm responsible for that. If I'm the leader and I'm talking to Becky and I've been bitching about Becky in my head for six months, I need to start off the conversation saying, hey, Becky, need to have a conversation. And first off, I need to confess something. And people don't use the word confess. You can say whatever you want to say. But first off, I need to own something. Uh, And we say hard on the problem, soft on the person. So there's something that's happening that's been bothering me for a long time. And I'd be clear, like specific about it for the last couple months or whatever. It's been bothering me and I haven't brought it up. And I find myself grumbling instead of talking to you about it. So please, would you forgive me for that? Because I'm here to get clean with you. And that's going to build some trust. And that's a weird combo. Nobody does that, right? Nobody comes in as a leader and confesses something like that. So first off, it resets the game because you're there as a human and you actually need to do the work as much as Becky is. Because the fact that you've tolerated Becky not performing means you're not performing. As a leader, you're responsible for the results and all the ways of being that are going on around you. At least I say you are. And whatever you've been avoiding, you're also responsible for that. So this is a you and Becky are in the same boat type combo. And so you're there to actually declare something new that you're committed to is like, hey, this thing's not been working and it really bothers me. And here's how it's tied to the bottom line. And if I don't get this thing straight, this is what the pain's going to be down the road. And she'll understand that because you're the boss. And also, there's a lot that's not working here for you. And I would generate some examples. Like, here's what I see happening that's, I know, frustrating for me. And I'm guessing it's frustrating for you. Here's what's not working So let's just talk about that and get clear. You notice like the tone is shoulder to shoulder. You're not there against Becky. You're there to sit with Becky looking at the problem together, 
right? You're on the same side of the table. There's a problem. Her performance is a problem. That's not Becky. That's her performance. I want to make distinct her behavior from who she is as a person. By the way, I love that you're making that distinction. That's really important for everyone listening because when you separate the two, she's not going to have like a personal attack. Like it's on her. It's on the behavior. I love that you're making that distinction. Keep going. This is really great, Adrian. That's great. I'm glad. Well, first off, wouldn't it be great if she didn't take it personally? She will take it personally because we all make that connection. But as a leader, you want to stand there saying, hey, I'm talking about what's not working. And if you do, I mean, be clear with yourself. First, I should have said this in the beginning. Do I want this to work out with Becky? I got to be clear with me first. Because if I want it to work out with Becky, this is a very distinct conversation. If I don't, and if I don't think she's up for it, and if I'm really done believing in her, you ought to let her go because you're done. Not that she's done or she can't, but you're done. So get honest with yourself. If you don't want to make this work, let her go, i.e. fire her, give her a nice severance package and bless her to go find a team, somebody that believes in her. So anyway, if you really believe in her and do your work to make this distinct between the person and the problem, she still might take it really personally because we naturally do that as humans. So even if she does, you have to really double down and say, hold on, I believe in you. I think we can do this together. I think you can do it. And so I'm here to see how I can support you to get this done. But I would ask the question, but do you want to do this? Because the breakdown in results reveal conversations she's unwilling to have with herself, with you, with reality. And sometimes it's just decisions. It's just the results are a, a stacking effect of these decisions. And she didn't realize that she wanted to go this way, but these decisions led her to a, a different direction. So by you bringing the awareness of like, you're not the problem, the human is not the problem, but the decisions that the human is making and the behavior of the human is creating some of these problems. So I think this is an awesome, awesome direction, Adrian. So again, keep going. I'm really glad that you're going in this direction with this combo. Awesome. I was with a team and with this member of this team in New York City, you know, commercial real estate company, a couple billion in assets, great company, family company. So mom and dad, four sons, two son-in-laws. And one of the guys pulled me aside at the break and he said, hey, leadership. So you're a leadership guy. What do you think is most important in leadership? And I'm prone to like having a 20-minute conversation about that. And I just said, courage, man, courage, which is the inconvenient answer. And I bring this up here with Becky, because in order for her to generate some new results, she's going to need to transform because it might be anytime there's a breakdown, it usually shows up in two buckets. It could be competency and that's kind of easy to solve. So maybe Becky doesn't know enough about blank. And so good, go read that book, go watch that video, go talk to that person, ask that question, whatever. It's a competency issue, or maybe it's a little bit of practice and she's kind of a rookie and she's a year in and by year three, it'll work out fine. Okay, good. It's kind of competency. That's not where most of the issues are. It's attitudinal because most competency issues wouldn't even be here if my attitude was right, because I would know and I'd be looking for how I'm blowing it. I'd want to know how I'm blowing it. I would seek feedback. Most of the time we give everybody credit for being an eight out of 10. And I get why we do that. And we're human, blah, blah, blah. But are we committed to being a 10 out of 10? And if so, I really want all the feedback. I'm rigorous with myself. I want to keep educating myself. If it's so, and I'm asserting like it's so, if it's so that most breakdowns are attitudinal, then we must shift our attitude, which is who the hell we are. You're going to have to be a lot more courageous, Becky, in order to pull this off. And do you want to do that? That's a suffering. That is a crucible because I'm going to have to like be more humble, probably ask for more help. I always say I always need more help than I want. I don't want help. I think for some reason that if I do it by myself, I get gold stars. I don't know. I think it's been around forever. But it's a team game and I need a lot more help than I want because I do a lot of shit independently instead of asking for help. 
So asking for help, all this stuff, that's going to be the needed shift for Becky. And most people don't draw a line in the sand. They just try to like tweak behaviors, which is like treating symptoms because behaviors are a symptom of a mindset. And then we think it's going to work out, but we generate dependency that now Becky's going to depend on me to help her tweak her behavior or me to quote unquote, hold her accountable, which we do not believe in. You can't hold another human being accountable. You can invite them to give an account. That's where the power is, that somebody is self-responsible. We have created a system in which our results are transparent and everybody's mechanisms are transparent and our intentions are transparent. That's how we run our team. It's not my job to hold anybody else accountable. It's my job to be accountable to them and then create the space in which somebody gives an account. If somebody doesn't want to give an account on my team, that doesn't last. If it didn't work, whatever result didn't work, and they don't want to rigorously look at themselves and how did I generate this, if I account poorly, I will recreate the shitty outcome again. So anyway, as you're in that conversation with Becky and you can differentiate between her as a human and what she's doing as a human, help her think through what's working and not working and what generated the shitty result and what's wanted and needed to pull something else off. And she's with you shoulder to shoulder. And now you've got a new commitment from her. Now you've got a new ballgame and you got to treat it as new. Like, okay, old Becky's gone. Now it's new. Now I'm going to stand with you that you can pull off what you say you're committed to. And I'm going to watch. It's not micromanage. I'm going to micro account where I'm going to watch. So you're going to do this new thing. It's due two months from now. Great. I want to know about results every week. And most people, especially type A driven folks, especially entrepreneurs, they don't want to micromanage. At least they tell themselves that they don't want to micromanage. Mostly why? Because they hate being micromanaged. No entrepreneur I know wants anybody looking over their shoulder. That's why they started their own company. And that's once again, back to that human bias. People need you to be in their business. They need it. They're not an entrepreneur. They work for you. They need management. They need you to be close. And that's a pain in the ass for most entrepreneurs. Most people need to hire a CEO. Eventually, we help a lot of founders get out and get a real CEO in place because they were good enough to start the company, but they actually don't want to run the company. Most of them are really scared to have that conversation. And it's usually very true. And a lot of the results are sideways because they're busy trying to stay founder status and aren't willing to really be the CEO that's needed to run the company. And they keep blaming everybody else for a while and go through a series of senior leaders until they figure out they're the problem. Well, Adrian, this is really fruitful dialogue. I really love what you're saying. It's like, my job is not to hold you accountable. I don't want to micromanage you, but I do want you to have an account and have autonomy over your results and have some sort of communication guidelines and some sort of parameters and expectations and standards that we're going to agree upon. And once those agreements are established, now we're going to follow through on those agreements, myself and you. I really love that. And man, I feel like we could keep this conversation going and maybe there's a part two or something at some point, but that'd be a blast, man. We do like to ask all of our guests three questions before we head for the exits. And then obviously you could tell us a little bit more where they could find you. But the first question is, what do you think the world needs most today? (sighs) What does the world need most? Lots of answers flying through my head. My natural first answer is leadership. It doesn't need shitty leadership. It doesn't need evil leadership. We need honesty. I think that's what the world needs most is we need honesty. We need transparency. People need that for themselves. Otherwise, they're devilish. Like all of us, if we're living in a secret, if we're hiding anything, we will compensate and it's always worse. It's always worse. And so human beings are haunted by their lack of transparency for themselves, let alone the shitty results for everybody else. And I could obviously talk about politics all day long around that context. But yeah, we really need honesty. And I think the other answer that hits me is a willingness 
to reconcile. Meaning, we see this all the time, is that anytime a leader's found out, or like something goes sideways, or the boss is a jerk, that's all there is. We live in a culture, we live in a conversation about justified judgment. He's that way. I know him. He blew it. He lied. And you know what? We're all fucking criminal. We all lie in little ways, big ways or little ways. We're all inauthentic in big ways and little ways. And so we treat other people the way we would never want to be treated. But in the mob rule that we live in now, that's justified. And we actually get fucking kudos for not forgiving anybody of anything. Yet all of us would want forgiven if we blew it. And I've blown it a lot in my life. So I know it. Anyway, there's the truth, but then a willingness to forgive someone else and to reconcile, not to be a dope. Like, of course, if that guy's a snake and he's committed to being a snake, I would treat him like a snake. And I'm not going to let my kid run around him because he's a fucking snake. I'm not, you know, so I'm not saying be a dope about it or be some pie in the sky. But if the guy was a snake and turns his life around, believe the guy and then watch him closely. He might go be a snake again. Watch him closely. We all want that. Anyway, what the world needs now is more honesty and a more willingness to be honest with ourselves, which will require ourselves to be reconciled to ourselves and to other people. It's great. It's great. Unless it's Becky. Becky could be a snake and we'll Fuck still Becky. give her you know what? Still give her a chance. I don't know. Not me, man. Get, get Becky out of here. <laughs> Adrian, our second question is, what are one to three books that you think people should read? That's interesting. People ask me that question a lot about what books they should read. Everything's contextual. Let me say, people are like, what books do you think I should read? And I'm like, what are you up to? What's your challenge? Most people are looking for Band-Aids before we look at wounds or whatever metaphor I can make up in the second. Anyway, but let me answer your question. A handful of books that are meaningful to us that I've read several times and have most of our clients read. There's one that's called The Courage to Be Disliked, which is not about how to be a dick. I was mentioning Freud and Adler earlier. This book helped solidify that for me. So it's a survey on Adlerian philosophy. It's an easy read piece of cake. It's an allegory. It sold like 5 million copies in Japan. It's where it started. Written by a couple of Japanese fellows. The Courage to Be Disliked. I would definitely read that. Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbiter Institute. We're philosophically aligned, so I like that, but it's really around getting out of this victim mindset and getting into an empowered mindset, leadership and self-deception. There's like so many books that I think about and speak on a regular basis. If people don't know, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which just happens to be right behind me, and I just glanced and looked at it. Chris Voss was the former FBI negotiator. He's actually the one that shifted it from a logical framework into an empathic framework. And it works better because that's the way human beings work, especially in crisis. Nobody's logical. Nobody. If you haven't read Never Split the Difference by Chris Foster, just Google him and listen to a few videos. You'll hear all the high points. It's a phenomenal book about negotiating. It's great. Yeah, it's a great one. Number three, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? Mm, I think money's really important and money's fuel. So Better than rich is to have an aim for the fuel. What matters most to me? And do I live in that question? And for me, it's me being a kick-ass husband, for me being a kick-ass dad, for me leaving a legacy. And I don't mean that in a cliche, like literally my absence is felt because I'm going to die at some point, hopefully a long time from now. But I want people to weep deeply at my funeral, not because I was like special, but that's felt. I want to live that way so that when I die, they weep because they don't get more time with me. And that might be weird to say that, but I really want to feel that. I've been at funerals where people don't give a shit. And some funerals where it's like, thank God that guy's dead. Are there some funerals I've been to where it's like, shit, no more time with this guy. Ah, and there's a deep loss. So when I say legacy, I really mean crafting your absence. 
So picking a name, like that's better than rich because I've been around lots of rich people. All my clients are rich for the most part and miserable. I mean, I've been around a lot of rich people that are miserable because if you're miserable and your aim is really selfish, which most miserable people are hyper selfish, then money just fuels that and it's desperate and it's not a good look and it's sad. So having an aim that's worth my life, that's better than rich. That's great. Well, Adrian, this has been a great conversation. It's really stimulating. And I think we went in a couple of really beneficial directions for the listener. I'm sure some people want to stay in touch with you. And what would be the best ways for them to do so? I know you have the Naked Leadership Podcast. If you want to talk a little bit about that or any other resources that you have available for anybody that wants to stay in contact with you, where could they find you? Sure. Anybody that's invigorated by this conversation, I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you want to correct me or whatever, I don't know, go take a walk and see if that's still true for you. If you feel provoked, I'd love to have a convo with you and get to know you and share and see if some work together would serve you and your organization, your legacy, all that. Obviously, find me on Instagram, adrian.k on Instagram. The Naked Leadership Podcast is really our playground. We think about our work in real time. We talk about clients in real time, like what leadership feels like, what it's like to go lead. So it's not prescriptions. If you want that, whatever, there's like 10,000 business books. Read all those prescriptions. We talk about what it's like to live in the tension of leadership. We'll never go away. If you're leading well, you will live in tension. That is the gravity of leadership. And so we talk about paradoxes all the time. And I was just thinking as part of the conversation we're just having around autonomy and control, we just did a whole episode on that around the tension between building a culture of control and building a culture of autonomy. We just did an hour on that specific topic. So anyway, you can go there and check it out. It's me and my business partner, the Tony Soprano guy and Chad Brown, an essential person of our team that hosts the podcast. And any ideas you have, questions you have, concerns, challenges you have, even just submit them to us and we'll do an episode on it most likely. So that's the Naked Leadership Podcast. We care about a couple other things people can know about. I think Chad would want me to say we've got a negotiation training coming up this summer, which is around because life's not fair. It's just what you negotiate. So helping people understand their natural default setting in negotiation. And for most of us, it's not good because we're humans. And so we have a free quiz we created for you. It takes five minutes. It'll let you see how you see negotiation and what you naturally do, what works about that, because there's certain things that work and there's tons of blind spots that's eating your lunch and costing you a lot of money. So you can take a free online thing at negotiation.takenewground.com. And then that'll get you connected to our email list. And we'll tell you all about the negotiation lab that's coming up. That's another free thing that's here. And we've got a YouTube channel, Naked Leadership YouTube channel. We talk about these issues anytime you want. If you want to have a rigorous conversation, love to have one with you. Please reach out. That's great. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for offering our listeners free resources that could help them. The podcast, of course, they could learn more about Take New Ground, about working with you a little bit more as being a founder and maybe wants to exit or find a CEO or something like that as well. So listener, thank you for your time. Adrian, thank you for your time. And obviously, we say it every time. Listener, if this episode helped you, it's your turn share it with others, subscribe mm -hmm. on YouTube, leave a rating review, Apple, Spotify, that'd be great. And as always, remember, leave today better than you found it. And we'll see you next week on the Better Than Rich Show. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.
you found value in this podcast episode and want to go a little bit deeper with myself and Andrew Biggs and our community, I recommend checking out one of these three resources. Number one is join our community. We have the Automate, Delegate, Systemize Facebook group with over a thousand entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who just want to win back their time, who want to increase their profits, want to expand their businesses and really spend their time on what matters most to them. So join that group. It's on Facebook. It's called Automate, Delegate, Systemize. It is a private group, but we would love to have you join. Number two is we have a free one-hour masterclass. And this free one-hour masterclass that is titled Win Back 13 to 37 Hours of Your Week Every Single Week. By you taking an hour of your time and listening and watching and workshopping with this masterclass, you will learn our three epiphanies to help you understand how to work on the business, not in the business. Know that you can delegate and automate almost anything in your business. And you could also build a system in your business, even if you're not tech savvy at all. So I highly recommend you to go to automatedelegatesystemize.com and enjoy that free one hour masterclass. If you really want to go deep with Andrew, myself, and other business owners, we have a program called Operator to Owner. And Operator to Owner is our premier program that's 12 weeks long that will show you exactly how to use what we call the ADS framework, going through the prospect journey, the client journey, how to onboard properly, build your staff, build the pillars of your organization, audit your time with a dollar per hour exercise, offload and delegate your under dollar per hour wage that you want to pay yourself, how to offload those tasks and really how to buy back your time. Our promise is that by the end, you will learn how to leverage a virtual assisted team, whether you want to use our Better Than Rich virtual assistants. We have those services. You can go to va.betterthanrich.com or you can learn how to use your own virtual assistant team and hire offshore workers. But we are here to help you win back time gain your freedom and try to stay true to what it means to be an entrepreneur and why you became an entrepreneur in the first place. So take advantage of those three resources. We have the Facebook group that's free. We have the masterclass that's free. And then of course we have operator to owner and our virtual assistant services that are behind the paywall and be on the lookout for our next mini course, win back your freedom and increase your profits, which we've done a couple of times already. And maybe there's one coming up in the near future.